five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to another episode of All Ears on Me. I'm your host, Robson Scott. I've got Phil with me again today. And um, I just want to talk about the sort of theatre industry and everything that's going on with that at the moment and talk about what theatre means to me and also what uh, theatre means to you, um, Phil. I know you've had a lot of experience, a lot more experience than me in terms of um, working in the industry and you've worked at some pretty pretty cool places like The Globe and stuff like that. Um, in general, what does, what does theatre mean to you? I think it's so important. I mean, it's like, especially... Especially in London, maybe more so than up north as it is here. It's obviously financially a huge tourist pull to the country. But with, and I'm not like going to be one of those real lovey, ex-loveys that go like, well, we had Shakespeare. <laughs> but, you know, it's the the playhouse and theatre is so much part of English culture. It's wrapped up in our entire fabric. And yeah, now people have film and television and stuff like that. But actually theatre is so important and going to watch live performance is the most single important thing that we just have to keep going. And not even just as a nostalgic thing, but about getting out and seeing things and living life. That is what it's about. Like the old, that theatre comes from the Greek word of like, well, theatre, it's still yeah. theatre, but it's it's a place to see is what the modern translation would mean. Like a place to dream and... It's escapism, really, isn't that's it? That's exactly what yeah. it is. And you need that in life because if you don't have that, if you can't go and see things or experience things in a safe environment, you know, like if you are watching a play, like let's just say a Shakespeare play, like Macbeth about a guy who kills the king of a story of ambition and then his wife and all this kind of stuff, you're living out through watching it, all of your either fantasies or thoughts or things that maybe you've thought in a very safe environment, surrounded by people who think and feel maybe the same as you do, and you're on this story journey of watching it in a live atmosphere. It's so important to human development to have that. So if you then don't have that or don't have the theatres or places to go or music venues, you're actually totally fucking a generation of people underneath you culturally and you're cutting their feet off to imagination and ambition and all things that they might want yeah and i mean to me fear is more than just sort of go in and experience it and obviously i've been on stage myself and i know you have as well but it's that whole um everything that comes with it the people you meet from from doing it like the people i've met from when i did it especially at school are now like some some of my closest friends and that that like sort of continued because of that we'll all have that love for theater and, and musicals and things like that and not having even i mean even as simple as um abigail who is one of them people who i did it with was saying like even christmas this year is harder because i mean one especially up north the pantomime is like a massive thing in newcastle um and we don't really have that i don't know if it i know it was talked about it was going to go ahead but i don't know if it is with the recent lockdown or not but then even like for Christmas, like she always got theatre tickets and stuff to go see shows next year and things like that. Um, but this year, there's like, there's not really anything on because no one has a fucking clue what like what next year is going to be like. So there's no like tickets to buy. So even that aspect, like the money's there for people to want to spend it and stuff. But with it not, with you not physically being able to, the industry is really being squeezed to death and with without the right funding 
We might lose something that's like so so crucial to this country. I think that's the danger, and you're just so right. It's not it's not even about individual performances that may not like for instance pantomime you, you said it so it's great yeah. like we're all worried about how frank bruno is going to get through christmas <laughs> without pantomime but re- but realistically it, it's also it's it's the knock-on effect of closing a venue for so long that has no money in whatsoever therefore it can't be filtered back into the arts because there's no money coming in to do it it's a it's a huge worry and i hope as i'm sure you do that the government and people around do step in and say like, yeah, we're, we are going to save these things because it's it's too detrimental to the whole country if they go. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's um, uh, there's a charity going around at the moment called um, The Show Must Go On. Um, and I think you, you can see it sort of everywhere with like loads of actors posting in the merchandise and stuff like that. And I think that's, that's really, really important. Um, just to try and get that message out there as it's such a famous thing to say the show must go on in the sort of theatre industry and I think that that literally sums it up the show must literally go on like we it can't, must yeah we can't like leave this behind in the past theatre that can never be a thing of the past and it must uh, continue but in terms of this show it also must go on so on a less bleak <laughs> note let's go into sort of like some of your experiences some of my experiences uh, with drama dramatics theatre and all that. Um, one of the things I wanted to sort of start about was like you you've worked at the Globe Theatre, like the world famous Globe Theatre. What what's that like? Is it as sort of awe inspiring as I imagine it to be? Or I mean, it's an incredible place. So when I performed there, um, it was the great thing about the Globe is it's 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 open air, and it might not seem that way, but obviously it's done. It's not in the round. It's not that the stage is right in the middle of the theatre. It is it is where you've almost got full periphery vision of the entire audience that's in front of you. And it's the hollow centre of the theatre. There's no, there's no roof. So if you're standing in the groundlings, which is where you just stand and you pay a fiver to watch, your head is at the stage floor height and then everyone else is sat on a cushion, as it would have been back in the day. Back in yeah. the day. But because they perform through the day and through the summer, they're not open at nighttime. Uh, sorry, nighttime. They're, they're not open during the winter because it's too cold. The summer, it's probably light till half past nine, ten o'clock at night. So when you come out on the stage, unlike a theatre like the National or the Ovic, you can see everyone's face. Wow. You can see a thousand faces and a thousand pairs of eyes, everyone looking back at you. So it is completely unique to any other form of theatre that I'd ever worked in before. You don't have the fourth wall, so to speak, where you can almost block the audience off. You have to try because you're doing your job of, of the play. But they're all right there. It's completely live. You can't hide. They're all yeah, looking at you. That's incredible. Like I've never really... I've, I've literally never thought of that before, but... I know, like, whenever my family and stuff have, have talked to me about it and have been like, where where do you get the, the sort of um, the courage to kind of do it? Does it not put you off when the audience are kind of looking at you and stuff like that and you've got, like, everyone's faces? And, like, the obvious answer is, like, no, because you can't see them because you've got all the stage lights and then the house lights are off, so it's it's darkness and the, all the, the lights on you, so you can't really see any of the audience. Very, very vaguely you can. But... um. 
but that's that's mental like how it's unbelievable how it's the can... one thing if you speak to anyone that's performed at the globe particularly that's the one thing they say and that's why like billy Connolly did a, a stand-up show there once and he said it was like yeah it was my favorite venue because i could you could really see everyone so like if you're doing stand-up and you're in a black room you've got to look out you've got a crane oh what did he say what did she say there everyone's just right on top of you and it makes it the most electric atmosphere when it's going well. When it's going badly, mm. it's terrible because you can't you can't get off, you can't hide. And they're right there. I mean, in the globe as well, people because as I said, we've got groundlings, people rest their arms <laughs> on the front of the stage and kneel up against the stage. You know, they're right there. They're like literally a foot away from you. You can stand six that's, inches away from them it's incredible i think uh the only thing that i can think of that's come close to that for me is um we did like a lot of um sort of theater to do with brecht and stuff like that and uh like sort of stanislavski and uh we did the trial and we had it all in in the sort of hall where we did all the productions and stuff but we did it in a like with the chairs in a circle and there was no like sort of house lights or anything like that it was just sort of like what it, what it was like day lit um and we performed it all with a um like a circle of people around with um so then you're like literally there's just people sat down inches away from where you're performing and then we actually ended up using that at the end because like, i played joseph k and when i got dragged to hell or to prison or whatever like it actually is i can't quite remember but um i was told to grab onto a chair of someone in the audience and like pull it as if I was trying to drag them in with me like as a sort of shock value thing and it worked and mm. I love that kind of I think that was definitely my favorite kind of theater where we did something that wasn't as traditional as having just the the chairs out um and being on stage with like the lights doing something completely different and experimental was was what I liked the most I think you were able to express yourself a lot more another thing that we did um for our A-level performance was we had like the whole school that um that we could work with so we decided to um to have it based in like loads of different parts of the school and we took the audience around so i guess it could kind of be like in a way a bit like what london dungeons and stuff like that is but we took them to a different scene in a different part that was set up so it was all based on the uh the grim brothers tales yeah, yeah. Uh, so one of them was set in the workshop upstairs in the school and that was all pinocchio uh based so it had like Pinocchio's like blueprints and stuff on the walls and that and then um downstairs it was like these four classrooms and you could control all the lights so we had it complete darkness but all the lights on in the classrooms and they were like papered up so we had like a shadow play going on in in all four rooms at like the same time it was great um but I guess like going on to that what's the kind of um have you got any like sort of favorite roles that you ever played or, or anything that was like a bit experimental that was different to like the sort of norm that you enjoyed doing uh, yeah definitely so when i was 17 i was uh it was, i was i was doing biker grove i'm not really dropping <laughs> but i was doing biker grove and then there's an amateur playhouse in newcastle at the bottom of the coast road called the people's theater yeah yeah and uh i did a role there where they did a production of train spotting oh, wow. the stage version and i played mark renton who's the like the ewan mcgregor yeah, yeah. in the movie and uh, I was 17, so I was, like, very young. And with the kind of things that you'd see in normal amateur theatrics company, they do things like, you know, Jane Austen, like Emma, or something like yeah, this. Yeah. So doing train spotting was so massively different. 
I'd never done a play there before. I've never done a play there since. <laughs> I just saw it come up. I thought, God, I would love to be involved in that project. Auditioned, and I was very lucky. I got the lead role, and that was totally different for me. The language that was used, the content that it's about. Obviously, it's about drugs yeah, and yeah. heroin and things like that. So that was huge. And I'm being 17 because you, you kind of, you're still forming your views on all those things then. And then you read something like that, which the whole, the whole ethos of the movie, the play, the book is, you know, choose life, which, you know, choose life, choose dishwashers, choose mortgages, choose yeah. family. And it's basically the counterculture message of, well, what if you don't choose to get married, have a kid, buy a house? You know, it's, you're actually, you're choosing life of drugs no responsibility stealing to buy money for drugs and living that life which is like a whole other thing when you're 17 to be thinking like oh that's actually you know maybe maybe it's not a bad way to go when when realistically you shouldn't have legally had any uh even drank yet and you were playing such a strong role it must have been quite um well it's it's like anything it's just when you you're facing all those uh you know big Big, big decisions, big things. Yeah. So, so, sort of going back to um to when you were like you were young, you obviously did Biker Grove and stuff like that. You then went on to do uh, the National Theatre. Yeah. So just before actually, just and while we're on it as well, when I was in the National Youth Theatre, because we were talking about open air theatres uh, before there, the Globe being one. There's a fantastic one uh, which is called the Minak Theatre, which is a a Greek amphitheatre that's built into the rocks in England. I'm pretty sure it's in Cornwall. Um, but again, I was at school and my drama teachers had said, like, oh, look, you, you, you're, you're not bad at this. You should try out for the National New Theatre, which I did and got into. And subsequently, like, loads of people I met at the National New Theatre turned out being in my year at drama school or... You know, you meet them along the way because it's yeah. a really small kind of circle. But we'll get onto that later. So I got in and I did my course, which I'm going to come back to. And then we had to audition for various parts because when you're in the National Theatre, they run productions every year. Yeah. So I auditioned for the Minak Theatre where they were doing like the Oedipus plays, like the series of the Oedipus plays, um, which I didn't get into. And then I got into one which was called... Uh, oh like Shakespeare in the Park or something like this and we did Romeo and Juliet in Hoxton Square which was amazing and I again got to meet more fabulous people that I still know we'll talk about later but but anyway going right back to your original question which I should have just answered (laughs) um the National Youth Theatre is a fantastic organisation that's set up for young people between 16 to 21 who have an interest in theatre or the dramatic arts, who probably want to become actors, but actually they offer all kinds of things that if you want to be a director, a set designer, a costume designer, but, but from primarily an actor, you go, you audition, and then you do a two-week, maybe it's three-week now course in London at the time, and I went to a place called Tufnell Park in North London, and you kind of meet the kids that are you from all over the country. So all the kids that are the best at either acting, directing, writing, and you all get put into a group of like 16 to 20 people and you hone your craft. They get Mm -hmm. teachers that are really good to come in. You get external workshops put on in stage combat, in scene study, in movement, in voice work. And it's a little taster. It's like, oh, this is the life that you'll get if you go into the arts. And it's, for me, was so important. 
at that age, I think I was 16 when I did it, because it solidified like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. These mm. are the people I want to be around. Because we'd said in the last time we met, when you did drama at school, it was a bit of a geeky thing. Yeah. And these were proper people that were really talented, really good. And and obviously everyone's quite good looking and you're flirting yeah. with each other and you're away from home and you're drinking and you're going out. And that's all great. So that really kickstarted my passion for, for acting and performing. And it did for like everyone that was there. And one of the girls, Lizzie, who was on my course, ended up being in my year at drama school. And I went to her wedding because she married a kid who was also in our year called Matt, who's one of my best friends. And Lizzie and Matt just had a baby. You know, it's all yeah. a really small world thing that you connect it, with. It's great, honestly. I Like, for people who don't do theatre, I don't think they'll ever understand because there's that sort of thing in culture where it's like, oh, the theatre kids. Everyone hates the theatre kids because yeah. they just sing all the time. It's like Glee. And it is very much like Glee, minus all the impromptu singing because, like, all the sort of drama and kind of, like, shenanigans and scandal that goes with that, do, like, does genuinely happen or certainly did in my sort of instance, like... Was diff- I mean, I never did musical theatre. It, was, it wasn't like Glee when we did it. It was like, yeah, National Youth Theatre kind of is because they're introducing younger kids to something like theatre, which can be very serious and taxing if you're doing long performances. But when you get on to that next stage of like drama school it's really intense yeah it's like the military it's like a military training for the arts and that's what it's supposed to be because it's weeding out the the shit ones yeah and then bringing on the the weaker ones as well so everyone's at a really good standard so when you go out into that world i don't think it's any secret it's a really tough world that actually when you get there you're bulletproof you've gone through this training and you've You've really got a craft or you've honed it. Well, that's the plan. It doesn't yeah. always happen. That's what they're aiming for. But like we didn't really, in the course I did, we didn't do singing. We didn't really do dancing. We did movement. But it was, uh, it's real intense. It's, it's what you said. It's the Stanislavski, the Lee mm-hmm. Strasberg, the modern school of acting that they're trying to teach you, which is arguably slightly antiquated in what they teach yeah. you now. But but yeah, that I was think, that. Um, I always preferred that to that sort. So like, my sort of experience, my whole experience was when I was in primary school, I used to do the sort of Christmas shows yeah, and stuff, enjoyed it, went to high school and it was like, yeah, seven and eight. It was like, oh, you've got youth theatre and you've got create. So create is like the, the core lesson. Everyone in, in yeah, seven and eight do it. Yeah. And you do um, media. So you do like um, kind of like film production stuff. It was the basis of what ended up making me, why I ended up going to do that. Um, where you learn like animation, you did music um which I was terrible at. Um, <laughs> I, I wish I was brilliant at it. I wish I was forced to play an instrument when I was younger. But yeah, me I, too. I, I, I it's wasn't. my biggest regret. Yeah, it's my biggest regret as well. Um, and then you did drama. Now, my drama teachers were absolutely incredible, like literally the best teachers in the school. And the media teachers were as well, but I especially got along with like my drama teachers. Um, so they were like, oh, come to youth theatre, uh, which is like on after school, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And we did musicals. So the first one we did was um return of the return of the forbidden planet um uh which when you're like young you, you just got basically a chorus role i got uh, me and a few others got a glorified chorus role is what i'd like to call it which is like 
um, we got a couple of lines and stuff and we were actually classed as damage control crew <laughs> where there was a course as well. And actually in the in the proper musical, they actually have quite a big part in it, but like we didn't have that much, like that big of a part, but it was good. Um, and then the next year we did Joseph and I ended up playing Benjamin, um, which was probably my, like up there with my favourite roles of all time. I then missed three years because I thought I was too cool for it and just didn't really want to do it. But in that time, I ended up doing drama at GCSE where um, that sort of love for learning about the art of it all um sort of came from like we did everything from like contemporary dance to to breck to um i'm trying to think of like all the other things that we did but like it was all that kind of training and it was like it was at that point where you kind of realize oh shit this is like if you take it serious enough you can actually really express yourself and really like get that sense like you're doing something really good which i don't think you can get as much with musical theater like, it's just you know what you've said it's just so important it's that's the most important part of everything that we'll talk about today or anyone listening is that the perception around drama or something like this is seen as somehow like girly or weak no. or whatever but actually when you get into it the form of self-expression that it brings you you know like when the school i went to yeah. we, we played rugby so guys that necessarily played rugby saw like oh well, i'm not doing drama that's for the girls yeah, yeah. or that's whatever but actually the more you get into it it's it's not at all it's for absolutely everyone and when you learn to deal with that you learn to deal with your own emotions what emotions are how you would you know play an emotion how you could uh, recall an emotion and you get so much more of a better understanding of yourself how Definitely. you work what's important to you which makes you just a much more rounded stronger person than you would be throwing a pigskin around or, or whatever's perceived as manly. It, it helps so much in, in so many other forms of life. And I'm sure you like will especially know this. Well, like just from doing that and learning like how to project things like that, which is then helps you when you're pitching and stuff like that, or when you're doing presentations, especially at uni. And like the sort of people skills you get from it, you kind of learn you learn how to stay in control of your emotions and stuff like that, as well as kind of like when do ex when it's right to kind of really express yourself and i think like e the most impressive performers i've ever seen is the ballet like whenever you go see matthew bourne or anything like that yeah the the men who do that are like the most incredible performers i've never been more jealous of someone performing and knowing how to do something than that including like music artists film stars everything like that and like when i go see the ballet that's when i'm in most awe of like anything and I think, like, I'm sure you told me once that you you'd been to Russia and kind of seen yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. So we, to... it was it was unbelievable. And it's like if we're talking about how theatre is important to British culture out there, it's like their religion. Yeah, like yeah. you have no idea how seriously they take it. It's like a spiritual place that they go and the level that they train there. Basically, there was a, a group of us. We went from Central School of Speech and Drama, where I was training at the time. It was a summer thing. We went to Moscow for a month and trained at the Moscow Arts Theatre School, which where Stanislavski yeah. was a student. He trained as an actor, and then he kind of created the modern technique, yeah, yeah. which has now formed all of modern acting as we know. And out there, their level is so far advanced from what we do you know like their their movement classes are to the level of the royal ballet their voice classes are that to the royal academy of music in london their acting classes are you know the rada level 
and they're all combined into wow. this one performer and these people are like superhuman i mean they are phenomenal they could do anything so i watched an entire performance their performances their final performances in russian i don't speak russian <laughs> but you understood and felt everything that by the end that one of the girls who was who was next to me called Aoife, she was an irish girl was in floods of tears because she she got it i yeah. got it we all got it they were that good and i'd never seen the art form represented so highly and really maybe once or twice have since but but never to that level I think consistently that's that's why i like matthew bourne so much because he takes that art of ballet and and puts it onto like a story that people are sort of more well like sort of well known to well versed um and like so I, i've seen him do lord of the fly um the nutcracker uh Carmen as car man kind of thing it was like a mechanic so mm-hmm. he took that like story and turned it into like two um mechanics fighting over uh the woman and then oh, yeah, yeah. um it was all set in the 50s and stuff so he like takes like a traditional story and just completely flips on its head and again like that's like another thing like being able to, to do that and just take a something and express it in your own way and show your vision of something is like is another like great thing that it that it gives but going back onto that sort of like really really strict training as much as it probably no like we didn't experience what it was like uh to that level what were what were your sort of experiences with yeah you kind of teachers and the people who you learned from is it like i know it was it was quite brutal for me even at even at like the lowest level so it must have been even harder at, um at drama school what was what was that like yeah i mean each teacher that you get is obviously trying to teach you a different thing and a lot of them have been through training themselves and they're ex-performers, ex-actors and you get loads of people who come in like, you know, film stars who come in and talk to you and say, oh, well, you know, I do it this way, I do it that way because it's such a personal thing. There's no like one size fits all. It's different for absolutely everyone and everyone's journey through it is so different but the closest way to describe it is like a military training. So you it's you, your perception is like you think oh it's like clown college you get there like yeah you're gonna <laughs> run around on the floor for a bit you're gonna pretend to be like a bit of spaghetti and yeah. then you're gonna do your voice classes and your scales and but it's not like that at all you're there every day from like 10 in the morning till six at night or 10 in the morning till midnight if you're rehearsing or doing a play and some of the teachers that you get are there to help you and make you better and make you stronger through supporting you but others have a different style of teaching where every term you'd meet with each of your teachers that for each discipline. So movement, voice, acting, and you got what was called a crit, which is essentially half an hour of criticism. Yeah. That they would just tear into you and some were gentle and some were really hard. And there was a girl we spoke about last time, but we lost yeah. on the audio. A girl called Abby, who I still remember, came out of her first acting crit and she was just in floods and floods of tears this really beautiful really talented girl who the acting teacher had just gone in on her so hard it wasn't even about her acting it was about who she was as a person he was doing it to try and bring her on as a human being to make her a better actress you get that but actually at the time she's an 18 year old girl that just moved to london who's trying to follow a dream it's it's savage it's so savage um i think like 
not as much to that level, but there was one lecturer at uni um, called Andrew Ross who was who was similar. And when it, it like wasn't in like behind closed doors, you'd be in a lecture hall of 80 people, um, if not like over 100. And you would have to pitch your idea, which is like your story. You've had to come up with it yourself. If you weren't confident in it yourself, like anyways, he would destroy you. But even if you loved the idea and he didn't like it, he'd absolutely like tear you a new one in front of 80 odd people. And like you, you kind of learn, and it's it's no criticism on anyone who can't handle it because everyone sort of deals with their emotions differently. And like if you can't handle being ripped in front of eighty people, it's not exactly like a bad thing. Not many people can, but you do kind of separate the. I don't want to say weak, but that kind of stereotype of the weak from the strong, where you can see the people who who really deal with the pressure of it, um, and people and those who can't. Um, and mm. I think it is it literally like you summed it up pretty well it's literally savage because your perception of that person when they break is kind of you do kind of think less of them a little bit and it's like you shouldn't really but, but like it does happen of course it does and like the thing definitely now looking back is dead easy however long ago this was for me like 12 years ago longer to yeah 12 years ago that now as a fully formed adult not that I wasn't then but I can look back with a sense of certainty now and think that each teacher had you know their own agenda like like all professors or whatever I'm sure you've met them there's certain people and I'm not saying that the ones that were very critical were actually the worst but you don't know that you know it's all mixed in with their childhood that they're picking on you because you're beautiful or you remind them of them in some way so they're coming down harder on you than they would on someone else or whatever it is that they are trying to make you better but you've got to take it that when i was there i believed as i'm sure you did when you're at film school you think this person knows absolutely everything the most and you revere them because especially at the beginning sorry but like I think when you first go to these kind of things, you think these lecturers, when they talk about the things that they've done in the industry and stuff like that, and like who they are, you like really, really look up to them and kind yeah. of like, like man or woman, it doesn't matter. Like you, it really like their opinion matters to you. Third, the first year, especially, but then like by the time I got to third year film school, um, I was saying things to like my lecturers that I wouldn't have dreamed of saying in like first year because I was like, oh, their opinion is so solid and they know whereas you do kind of realize that um they, they don't know it all at all when you start yeah. to see some of their work and things like that you're like oh well well i could be better than that anyway so i'm going to challenge that and you learn to stand up for yourself and kind of like i guess that that's kind of what they they kind of get into you is that um that's what they're pushing you to do yeah. they're, they're challenging you to grow so when you've grown you look back and you can see like yeah that's the person i was this is the person i am now and actually, I was your student, and you hope by the end they've taught you everything, and you're ready to say, "Yeah, now yeah. I'm moving forward, and I know what you know." And like, I always remember like my sort of brief experience with that in it came in sixth form. Um, was when my my teacher pulled like we were actually in the lighting booth, and I always remember it. Like I talk about this like all the time to my dad, like youth theatre friends and stuff like that, because like it's just like. I think it's the moment that stands out the most throughout like my entirety of school is I uh, were in the lighting booth sort of um doing the lights for a show and uh like mapping them as you have to do beforehand and she came up and I I don't know what had happened but she always used to get kind of the gossip of what was going on with everything and she came up and Sean who was the lighting guy was stood behind her he was a bit older than us but he still kind of felt like one of us I guess 
we stood behind and she came in and she just kind of literally ripped us a new one in front of like in front of him and he's like in the background with his hands his head like oh my god i can't believe she's saying this um and she was like oh um you you're not like all you think you are um you're not like big like kind of mr lefario and like all this like smooth with women and all this kind of thing um like stop like basically get out of your ass and i think like I, I kind of looking back like totally agree with her and i was like it's such a it was such a like a good thing to say but you would never expect that to come from from like a teacher in any like if your maths teacher said that you you would be yeah, like fuck yeah. you but because it was like the my drama teacher and you get like a lot the sort of relationships not like if the teacher kind of like it's, much more personal. it's so much more personal and like and she was she was bang on and it was like i look back now thinking like i wish i kind of realized that advice a bit sooner when she told us because i think i probably did continue and at the time i probably thought oh, yeah whatever kind of thing <laughs> but like i do agree with her like especially now and i think it was a real kind of kick up the arse that i kind of needed and i guess in a sort of that's a kind of small version of to what you faced for three years at, 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 at well, drama school. It, it goes back to just like what you were saying earlier about the self-expression and people pushing you it's what they're trying to do at drama school or what your drama teacher is trying to do with you it, it seems critical but really it's all about trying to remove fear from you and make you fear less yeah. as opposed to a fearful individual. And the only way that you can do that is really come to terms with exactly what you are and what you're going to do. And I think we said this in the last one, we're like, if you want to do something, you've just got to do it. Yeah. And, and that is the main lesson anyone could ever teach if you just live totally without any kind of fear, worry, or like great actors, you don't have to be an extrovert or an introvert. And being fearless doesn't mean that you've got to be big and loud in every situation like i'm sure if you met daniel day lewis he'd be quiet humble polite but when you see him on camera in his roles he's making some bold choices and being fearless in what he's doing because he has that confidence in himself that's been built up time over time where he's been pulled down i mean he had an episode at the national theater where he's playing hamlet he was suffering from exhaustion he had to be pulled off the stage because he believed mm -hmm that he saw his own father's ghost as Hamlet looking at his father's ghost as his father was, um, I think it was Cecil Day-Lewis, who was a poet laureate. Yeah. And he had to be pulled off the stage. You know, like, you've got to go through all these massive things of self-discovery to really find out who you are, to be comfortable with who you are, and then you're fearless going forward in what you do. You think, no, this, my own, this voice inside my head that's telling me to do this thing is right. Everything else is wrong. And that is what any form of dramatic training or arts training yeah. is supposed to instill in you. It, it is incredible how much you can get into a role and how even like the smallest things can can kind of take over your life. Like again, like when I played Joseph K in the trial, I remember like, I don't know what it was. I just kind of felt like I was that character kind of thing for a bit. And um, I don't know, it's just, it's just really bizarre that when you get a character, you are, when you're doing you're being that character so much during the day and then you're just meant to like turn it off like that and go home or kind of thing mm -hmm. like it's it's a lot hot like going from <laughs> going from playing a character who's like has no idea why he's going to prison and has to like do all this stuff like kiss other people even in my sort of drama class but at the time obviously you're like in character and stuff like that and then and then have a massive argument and get really, really riled up and, like, actually angry. So, like, when I was doing that, like, I genuinely, like, thought about things that would make me angry, really, really, like, went for it because that was the only way I felt like I could do it, like, strongly enough. 
um, to then have to go from that and then the school bell rings and have to move to like business class where I'm like still shaking with rage kind of thing and I've just kind of got my school bag and walked over and I'm like sat in business still mulling over what's just happened so it does really really have like an effect on you is there anything like I mean I guess going back to what we were saying before is there anything that you remember people trying to like that the sort of criticism you got or is there any like examples of times where your character has kind of like I don't know got the better review or anything like that yeah so I mean it's a really good question and I guess this is not meant as a criticism towards you but that that is the difference I would suggest the teacher would say between an amateur and a professional that a professional learns how and that's the techniques they teach you to leave what you just described at home or not there agree, yeah. and then then you so it's repeatable every night if you were genuinely getting yourself really upset on stage every night then you burn out very quick yeah. and i think that's what happened with the day lewis thing in hamlet and yeah. that was his learning process whereas like if you watch film is different film it's got film and theater are really similar in the sense that film has a much greater theatricality than television does and that's why it's close to theatre. The difference in film is that you only have to do it once. Mm-hmm. So, like, off camera, you could stamp on my foot. Well, you could get a hammer, smash my little pinky, and say, say your lines. I've broken my toe. I'm crying. I'm in agony. And it appears as though I'm saying it with an internal angst and worry. In theatre, you have to learn the technique to produce that same feeling, emotion, and, and look of it night after night after night yeah. and after a three month run you can't just rely on your mm, feeling that's so, true. so you need that technique in place that some nights it'll be there naturally other nights it won't other nights you may have come from it's important to like embrace the moment if you've had a huge fight with your girlfriend say before you arrive at the theater yeah. you need to leave that at the door mm. straight away and when you put on the character clothes and get in it you're on that character's journey doing what you need to do that night as a professional. When you get into maybe moments of real high thing, you have the technique that if it's not there, and if it is there, you're then kind of improvising with the script that you have to, to make it feel different to how you feel on that night. You know, like how a musician would play the guitar. He's playing the same notes. Yeah. But if you went to every one of his live performances, it might feel different. And that's putting your human emotion into those same notes. Acting's kind I, of the same. I think that's interesting as well. Like, what's the longest sort of run you've done? No, nowhere near yeah, the, the no. level of what other people have done. I mean, like, so if you look at, like, I'm trying to think of massive... The biggest runs that I know of that friends have done, there was a guy who was in the Blue Man group who toured Europe. He did that, I think that was about 18 months to Europe. Jesus Christ. And then even when Kit was in the National, that must have been at least seven or eight months. I'm like two months, which is the longest, which is not a long run. Yeah. But even at two months, you get very sick of doing the I'm, same I'm thing. I'm like four shows is yeah, the longest yeah. I've ever done. So like Tuesday, two performance on a Wednesday, matinee and a, a show at night. And, and I bet it's getting like stale this. by the Saturday. You've done yeah. it and you've thought, and yeah, you're putting everything into the final performance, but when you do the matinee, you think, ah, it's the matinee. No yeah, one's coming. especially the matinee. Yeah, yeah, so, so you're not putting as much in. So you need to find other things to keep you interested as well in it, to keep you involved, yeah. because you can do it on autopilot. And you see that. If you, as an audience member, you go and you watch someone on autopilot, you're like, yeah, they're just not in this. Mm. And that's the difference between 
an average actor and a really, really good... Like, I went... I remember when Mark Rylance was on... He wasn't even at The Globe, but he was artistic director of The Globe. I saw him at Twelfth Night. He, he played... Oh, God. He played the, the female in it, or being <laughs> that he was a male. And Stephen yeah. Fry played Malvolio. And Stephen Fry, you know, who's great in so many things, is was just terrible in comparison to Mark Rylance because Stephen Fry was hitting his mark, saying his line, pausing for the laughs. Mark Rylance was reliving and improvising Shakespeare there and then. And I knew what I saw was going to be completely different to what an audience yeah. member went and saw the next night. He was saying the same words. He was saying in a similar way, standing the same thing, wearing the same costume, but a totally different performance. That's a real professional. The, I think the one time that that really stuck out to me, and I think it's very telling, is that I can't remember what the term is, but when they basically get like a big name to do a show that mm -hmm. isn't actually an actor, mm -hmm. um, and they got uh, some guy from The Wanted, uh, the band, to play the, to play Danny in Greece. Yeah. Um, and Greece is like my biggest soft spot. I, I, yeah. I just love it. Um, and I went to see it, and it's the only time I've ever seen Greece where I thought, like, what am I doing here? This is terrible. Because... He couldn't act for it, like he literally couldn't. Act. Obviously, he could sing and he was fine, but like he would have been probably all right doing something like Joseph because it's all like singing. Yeah. But with it being like a jukebox musical kind of thing, it was like he just it was just terrible. And I painful, just remember like it? yeah, like literally painful to watch. And I was just remember thinking like I feel sorry for the rest of the the actors on stage who probably who definitely could have done that role a lot better but yeah. obviously didn't get it because they needed to sell tickets yeah, yeah i mean i would rather go see um something with actual actors in than see something with just like some some kind of name on it that's it and that's the difference between real theater what i would consider real theater yeah. and what you probably call commercial west end theater yeah and that you know they need like uh, Kevin Spacey, though you know, it's, yeah. it's a different thing. When he owned the Old Vic, he had to put himself in the shows. I'm sure he enjoyed doing it <laughs> to sell the tickets to get people to come. Because if it was just him that owned the theatre, he couldn't sell it off the back of yeah. an unknown or like like Robert Lindsay, who I think you'll probably recognise from like My Family or something yeah, like yeah. this. He he used to do things, but when you get a big name who goes in the show, then it's basically like the Robert Lindsay show. So everyone's yeah. going to see that. If you really want to see great theatre, go and see great shows with fantastic actors and ensemble casts. You're going to get a much better experience of theatre and of a, of a story because you're not there just watching someone that's famous, yeah. someone you've seen on the TV before. And there is a reason that Kevin Spacey's won Academy Awards and all those kind of things. He's a really good actor. He's fantastically good. But He's fooled everyone for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but, there's, but there's other people out there who maybe don't have a celebrity profile that are incredible yeah. performers. The guy that plays... God, I'm not even going to remember his name. He's in the new James Bond films. And he plays Rami Tanner. Oh. No, he's like the number two to Judy Dench. Is oh, yes, he plays... Um... He plays Philip in The Crown in season right. three What's his four. name? What's that actor's um, name? I've, oh. seen it. I've seen him do The Seagull at the National Theatre. I'll find it. As we and are. he is absolutely... But incidentally, he did the seagull with Ben Whishaw, who's also in James Bond with yeah. him, playing Q. But he's like a phenomenal stage actor, and there's so many people like that that you think, oh, is he just that guy from James Bond? No, he's got this huge other profile. Um, 
Tobias Men is it him? No. Oh, it's not him. Oh, <laughs> never mind. That's it. Well, he is in um, in Bond, though. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's not him. Um, oh, I know who you mean now. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna have to find out who it is now. It's gonna annoy me. Uh, he's he's in... got an enormous stage thing, and like I remember, I went to go and see. This is the opposite. So I went to see Ray Fiennes <laughs> again in the Oedipus things. We we're talking about playing Oedipus in the National, and he had this terrible moment. He had let out this huge cry which is really typical of the Greek tragedies that you'd have to do. And um, this huge bit of drool came out of his mouth, oh. and I remember looking at him, and he was looking at me, and we had eye contact. Oh, no, it was my friend Matt who was there. He was looking at Matt, and Matt told me this. And uh, he's got this huge bit of drool coming out of his mouth, going, Aah! but looking at Matt, going like, oh, no, I've got this drool hanging off my chin. What do I do about this? Having like this actor thought. That, uh, that happens on Hamilton, on the, the recorded version that Disney have got as well. Um when when the king's he like spits out the entire he's like not meant to um but we are just in case you're wondering why yeah. it's gone quiet we're, just... we're scrolling looking for the name of this guy who wait there i might not even be casino where we are i'm gonna go on skyfall because he's definitely in skyfall I think that guy from the crown played this character in the in casino royale and they might have changed actors there he is. Yeah, he is. Rory Kinnear. Rory yeah. Kinnear. Big up to you, my friend. I saw you in The Seagull. And so he was in The Seagull with Ben Whishaw. And as a stage performer, I remember watching him thinking, wow, he is just, he was phenomenally good. But then you see him in a movie and you're like, oh, yeah, he's just like a bit part player in that. But actually, he's phenomenal. Yeah. He's phenomenal actor. It, that is, that's very interesting, actually, because I've, I've seen um, Shawshank Redemption and I can't remember for the life of us who was, who was in it, but one of them was from Casualty and I'd seen them in Casualty quite a lot and like they weren't a big character in Casualty but my god in, Sh in Shawshank Redemption played Red and absolutely like probably the, one of the best performances I've ever seen on stage so yeah so I remember seeing Tom Hardy before he was famous he was known but he wasn't yeah, famous yeah. I think he'd done like Wuthering Heights and he did Man of Mode at the National again about 12 years ago and he was great but he was thin he wasn't like how he is now like yeah. must have been anything he was fantastically good and then after that I think then he must have got Bronson or something like that and then he won yeah. he was massive but you knew watching him you're like this guy's really talented Yeah. but he just hadn't hit it then I think that this is like a great point to kind of go on to and to kind of bring it to an end is that the amount of names that you've said that you've seen in these um, yeah. plays if you just go to London or even anywhere around the country and go to your local kind of theatre and watch these like plays not so much the sort of commercial touring musicals but if you go see the plays you end up seeing some like fantastic i imagine you see some bad ones as well but see some fantastic actors doing some like amazing performances and it's and uplifting like you go yeah. you leave you feel better it kind of reaffirms a belief or the belief that you're holding when you're going to see that play and you walk away feeling stronger about yourself and less fearful in your own life to think mm -hmm. oh yeah other people think and feel the same as i do so maybe what i think and feel is right and let's you know you push on with your own journey with that belief exactly and i think that's what um it's what theatre does. It's it's what TV and film uh, can do. Um, the strongest uh, sort of part of it, and that's why the sort of art is so important to this country. Like you, you go to work. People who go to work like sort of nine to five every day, come home. What do they do on a night time? They sit and consume media of some sort. What's yeah. normally like TV. Like we're sat watching The Crown a lot at the moment, and it's like if that 
wasn't around or if that ends up getting a lot less funding and we don't see as great shows like that especially from like sort of this country like th even things like Kill and Eve and stuff like that yeah um which is like I think we've seen like quite a resurgence in really strong British BBC kind of shows over the past few years if that goes then people are going to be a lot less kind of entertained and you'll be bored what will you do when you kind of finish work and people can can kind of drag the art of it and say it's not as important but I don't think people look at the bigger picture and realize how much of what they consume is is art and whether that be like sort of graphics or when they're at work or movie posters like you would see adverts on the radio or tv film or theater that there's now most of them are like sort of closed and we're not seeing a lot of you it's a big miss but as you said so if all of the if all of the theaters closed or that happened that's the problem that you then don't get the crown you don't get films you don't get tv it, it all comes through theatre. All of the famous actors you can think of have all done theatre. If you go back to any of those actors and you say, what do you prefer doing, film, TV, theatre? They'll all say theatre. Yeah, Every most, one of them will say theatre. It's the most rush you get out of doing anything. Like The adrenaline rush you get from, from being on stage and doing it is like nothing else. It's like a drug. And like it, from, from not doing it for so long, I even now still crave to like go do something on stage. And yeah. It's like... like I know it comes across as kind of like attention seeking, but you just kind of strive for everyone when you know like the whole audience is kind of hanging on you every word. It's like just incredible. Like there's no better feeling. But it's just for the whole development of the culture. It would be like saying, well, we've got doctors now and we've got universities that teach, doc teach doctors. So let's just forget about school. Yeah. We don't need school anymore. <laughs> we'll just go straight to it's university so medical degree. Yeah. Cutting out theatre from that process of culture and arts is like saying, oh, well, theatre's are closed. That's a shame. It's like saying, well, okay, well, all the surrounding aspects of TV, film, music, everything, that's got to go too then. Because yeah. that's that's the bridge. That's how you get there. So true. And I think that's kind of like a good a good note to end on, I guess, is that how, just how important it is and that um, no matter how long this goes on for, hopefully this vaccine kind of works and we can get theatres open as soon as possible again because um, the show must go on, really. Um, and that's it's kind of the the best way to end it i think uh, thank, thanks for coming on and uh, no no i'm back by totally unpopular yeah. <laughs> demand no one asked me to cut that um, so don't thank me for anything i'm yeah. just here great well um and on that note i'm sure we'll end it but i will say thank you <laughs> <laughs>